As I, as I mentioned last week, we were in Romans 5 last week, and, and I mentioned that my intention is to sort of stagger my way through 5, 6, 7, and 8. And uh, I managed to remember that one week later. And uh, we're in Romans 6 today, and let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your word, the, the brilliance of St. Paul, and his thrill at finding and seeing the grace that is in your son. He's the first to lay it out for us, Lord, and, and we are very grateful. Help us understand in your son's name. Amen. So we're looking at the whole chapter of Romans 6, but I want to remind you of something out of Romans 5. And one thing you have to remember is Romans is not a book you want to helicopter into and grab a passage and use it for your own devices. You want to be sure that you're always talking about the question that is being answered by the book at large. And as we mentioned last week, the first four chapters are consigning all men, Jew and Gentile, to sin. Just basically, they're all sinners. In the law, out of the law, you're sinners. The need is universal. And that through faith, we are justified, chapter 4, on Abraham's faith. Now, he discusses, what we discussed last week was that in chapter 5, he starts it out with, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. And he starts to describe what the nature of that standing is that we have been given in Christ. He has it two parts. One is justification and uh, reconciliation with God in the now, and salvation in glory, in the eternality, um, later. That's what we have in Christ. But he also wants to describe, in the latter part of the chapter, we're going to move off the nature of the chapter 6 is based on this point. And I have it here on the left-hand side of your sermon notes in Romans 5. I have verse 9, verse 15, 17, and 20. And you'll see bolded the word much more, and then much more, and then the words much more, and then abounded, and then abundance. I failed to highlight a much more there in chapter verse 17. And then last one in verse 20. Law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Summing it up, there's much more. Grace and God's provision for sin is much more than what sin can do to you. All right? And the grace is in greater abundance in your life than what sin can do to you. Now, let's examine our thoughts. Because... People actually get offended when I tell them there is no excuse for sin. None. Now, why would a Christian be offended at something like that? Well, they like to sin. That's one. They sin. Now, instead of saying, like Paul would, much more great provision, abundance beyond anything you can ask or think. Let's live that way. He's got to answer in chapter 6 two questions, one in verse 1 and one in verse 15. What shall we th say then? 
are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So that's our first, that's our first thought, right? How do I find room for sin in this theology? Because what is the war in human history? It's between God, who made everything, and who's going, okay, what is wrong with these people? I want to be reconciled to them. I want to gather them back to where the creation made them to be. Okay, I'll even have my son killed. I'll atone for the sin. I'm going to look to have them pursue this wonderful grace, forgiveness of sins. And they're sitting there, even the ones that believe in me, going, hmm, so you mean that if I sin, grace abounds? Hmm, I'll be doing God a favor then, right? By, by sinning, he will be more glorified in, my, in the abundance of grace that is given. Why do we always seem to think of ways to sin? Or trying to ask the pastor, is it okay if I, well, how about if I, is this okay? You know, some clear statement from the scripture. Don't do this. And someone comes up to you after church going, but what if I did it this way? It's like we spend all of our time laying groundwork for sin in our life. I, 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 you're probably aware that Jesus, that's Jesus Christ, wasn't in favor of that. And it seems that Paul and the apostles also are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Because the story of the gospel, the story of the gospel isn't complete when you say, I was a sinner, Jesus died for me, I had faith, he forgave me abundantly. That's something missing. I was a sinner, in fact, dead in my sin. I was a sinner. Jesus died for me. I believed in him. And in that belief, died. How can we who have died to sin, still live in it. It's a point of fact. It's a knowledge of what is. Well, why would you be thinking about paths to sin when you have died to it? Do you not know? Now, I made that bold and I made that red so that you would see it as a phrase you might want to take home and meditate on. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the answer to the question about, does this give me a, a reason to sin, or a, shows a good side of sin that I get a great, um, great grace out of it? It used to be in the Middle Ages, they used to, I forget who it was, some famous Catholic theologian was arguing um, uh, that the sin of Adam was a blessed sin, something, Adame Picare or something like that, a blessed fall. 
because how would we ever have the Virgin Mary and the, and the Christ if we didn't fall? How, if the path of grace was not, uh, the path of grace was not uh, uh, needed in history, that would be worse. So weren't we glad that Adam sinned? Now, that's not how a Christian thinks. Do you not know? Do you not know? The sin has no place in your life. That's what he says. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? That's what Josh said. Are you still living in sin in some sort of way? How can you? How can you? Don't you know you're dead to that? We died with Christ. And we died with Christ so that we were raised with him, verse 4, we too might walk in newness of life. The newness of life is the desired end of the gospel. That ties in with James, right? He said, show me your works apart from your faith, and I, by my works, will show you my faith, because the gospel dies to sin. It's not just Jesus died for your sin, you died in Christ for your sin. You could not take the torque of dying for your own sins. If you had to die for your sins, well, it would do something bad to you. It would be hell. That's what happens when people die for their own sins. Christ died for our sins, and we in him. But I have to know that. Now, what's interesting to me about Romans, and a number of other things Paul does, but especially Romans, it's this long argument of helping the Christian church understand what's going on. Christians have studied Romans for centuries. It's a wonderful book of understanding what is going on. It isn't, so you become a Christian. These are a few rules you might want to know. Don't drink too much. Don't run around with bad girls. Uh, what else? Fast cars. No fast cars. What, are the, what, what would be the Christian rules? So now you've joined the club, these are the rules. No, Paul is, so you've, you've come to Christ. Do you know what just happened to you? Do you understand what it is? Where are your thoughts? Do you not know? When you're ministering to some believer, when you're out there helping someone out who's going through a difficult, a rough patch, they like to call it, or sin against the living God, as my father would like to call it. Um, you might want to use the phrase, Do, don't you know? You don't, you don't have an excuse for sin. You can't chalk up pieties that will make sin allowed. Something has happened to you. You need to think this way. 4, verse 55, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, initially, he's not talking. You can easily get confused about which death, which resurrection. Is it spiritual death? Is it the death of the, that killed you in sin? Is it the death you died with Christ? Is it the death you're going to die physically? Is it the death... <laughs> Is it the resurrection to the to, to eternal life, or is it another resurrection? Since he's talking about your, mo <coughs> excuse me, your moral life right now, 
Can we sin so that grace may amount? No. Newness of life is expected of you because you died and you were raised to newness of life. And then he's explaining that in 5. You are united in his death. You will be united with him in resurrection. So if you don't see the life of Christ present, understandable, desired in your life, if you died with him, you can be sure you will be raised with him. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know. Now these are all things that you're supposed to be ticking off. We don't have a statement of faith here at All Souls. We don't have a catechism. Christians should know what they affirm. I don't like catechisms because they're rote. They're just little kids memorizing. What's the chief end of man? Okay. It might be the chief end of man, but don't memorize it. Discover it. Paul wants you in Romans 6 to discover, don't you know that this is the case? We know, verse 6, that our old self was crucified with him. Add that to the picture of the gospel. It wasn't just Jesus hanging there because you sinned, but that when you stepped into Christ by faith, you were offering up this old self to be killed with Jesus Christ. It's a picture. But something that you were, yourself, your... You say, I can spend some time thinking about this. That's good. Spend some time thinking about it. You had an old self that got put to death. And that old self had used so that the sinful body might be destroyed. The old self was killed so that the sinfulness of what this is, this, this sack, this flesh container... This image of God, however you want to think of it, some of us are more sack-like and some of you are more God-like, but uh, we won't um, assign roles. But we're all sacks of desires. We're all just urge. God made this machine remarkably and it, it feeds itself. It tastes things. It enjoys and since we were born, we have been running around with our old self driving this sinful body so that our urges would be satisfied as much as we wanted them to be. And God killed that old self with Christ so that the sinfulness of your flesh wouldn't be around anymore. So that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Remember, it's not just sin and abundant grace, but the grace to sanctification. You don't just grace to justification, where Jesus forgave me. Please, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. Oh, yes, he is. He's done. He killed you. You were raised with him. 
Oh, certainly, we're trying to stop ourselves from the sins that we... But a lot of it is stopping the way you think. Paul's first line of defense against sinning in your life is, don't you understand what Christianity is? Haven't you ever read Romans before? It's not in favor of sin. And it talks about you not sinning. So that we'd be crucified, we wouldn't be enslaved to sin. Because, verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, have you? Right? Do you not know that all of who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Because he who has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Don't center on merely the justification you received in your conversion. Because that mortality, that wasn't you being set free. That was you getting tacked to the cross in a safety first way. Your Lord was tacked to the cross. You have bound yourself to that Lord. In the church, we are the body of that Christ. And we died with him. We believe we should also live with him. For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. He is talking about Jesus Christ having told you, yelled in your ear a few times in the first ten verses of the chapter, that you have an, a, a, a lining up with Jesus Christ in this. You were crucified with him, you were baptized into his death, you were raised with him to a newness of life like him. This is the nature of this death in Christ. Let me describe what happened to Christ. Never die again. Death has no dominion over you. Once for all. There's a life that the other, a life that is lived for God. Define what you're about when you get up in the morning. As a Christian, differently than perhaps you've done before. Instead of just saying, we're thankful to God that his grace abounds for you, that when you sin, his grace is abundant. No question about it. But if we keep that, the message of the gospel, not the message of Romans 6 as part of the gospel, that it says, this is what happened to you, you will never have victory over the sin. And he is not giving you a list of rules. He is telling you what happened. There's no legalism here. There's just, well, anytime you ask me to be holy, you're like saying, you're, you're claiming that any claim to holiness is legalism. God has wanted us holy since the beginning. Legalism, he, had, he tells us, doesn't work, but he still wants to get us holy. And Paul's approach to you is, do you not know? Now, once he describes what Christ's death is like, which hanging portentously over that is the suggestion that you think of your life and death in him similarly. 
In case you're wondering, verse 11, so, this all being true, you must also, or also must, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must, just like Christ, that also, just like Christ, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the memorable verse at the bottom. In case you try to escape that verse, it's not at the bottom, it's in the middle, it's in your Bibles, you'll keep running across it. You must, this is not a choice, this is Christianity. You don't get to have a different view. I'm sorry. I was thinking about this on some, some other issues the last couple of days as I've read online blogs of people who disagree with St. Paul. And I wanted to ask some of these people, could you, if left blank, nothing in the New Testament, have written the book of Romans? I don't think you're smart enough. St. Paul was smart enough to write the book of Romans. St. Paul is smarter than you. More godly than you. He was a sinner too. He needed the Lord's forgiveness. I mean, he killed Christians for heaven's sake. But he knows more than you. He certainly knows the Lord. As he says in Corinthians, I believe it is, you are a Christian, I am a better one. Ooh. Deal with it. You didn't, you didn't make up this religion. This isn't some postmodern, you know, happy fest here. We all get to have our own truth. Our own, get to have our own little versions of Christianity. I know it's all souls, and I know we don't, we're not strict about what kind of bizarre theology you drag through the front door. But it is one thing. And Jesus Christ has done one thing in this gospel. And you're supposed to be about finding out what that objective reality is. It is this. You must consider yourself dead to sin. Second, you must consider yourself alive to God. Now, we don't stress this much. Churches like ours, you know, independent Bible community, whatever we are, who knows? Or something. We're always talking about faith alone, right? Sola fide. Once you get smarty pants about it, you get to say sola fide. Sola fide. On a t-shirt. Don't get me one. I want to come up with... What's the word for death? Mort. Sola mort. Death alone. Was one of the one of the uh, the, uh, the Lancers? Uh, I forget which uh, 19th Lancers Brigade. I don't know why I remember this. I think their their motto was "Death or Glory." I like that. And maybe "Death and Glory" should be our church's motto. If it weren't Jesus as Lord, "Death and Glory." Can I see it here? An amen. Death and glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why do we forget that? Because we're always asking questions of the pastor of what sins am I allowed? 
Because we're all running up to the theologian going, okay, are you sure that this makes this bad? I don't see anything in the Bible that says this is wrong. You kind of know it's wrong. You have died. If I get this through my head, I won't be trotting my chubby little thighs up to the front of the church and asking the pastor afterwards if it's still allowed that I do X. Because I've died. And the life I live, I live to God in Christ Jesus. So he picks us up with verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, because of this, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies. Because you still have this sack of urge. This sack of urge that God made in the creation, which originally was supposed to work nicely for his plans, was tripped up by sin and man's rebellion, and so man has been using his body and his urge, his selfness, to create wickedness. Well, you've been set free from that. Self got crucified. Your sinful body was destroyed. You still have a sack of urge that your new self in Christ, your risen self, your new life, you have command over. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. The old self was crucified, but if you do nothing, your body has passions. I like potato chips. I like certain potato chips. I buy locally, I buy potato, and this is, even sounds like sin, dirty potato chips. That's the name, brand. They buy dirty potato chips because they're the only potato chips here locally that are produced by Utz, which I had at my birthday party. Remember, I ordered them from Pennsylvania. Six pounds of potato chips full of grease, salt. If I had not my wits about me, I would be probably found dead in a bin of potato chips, crumbs in my beard, just having eaten myself to death if I had not my wits about me. I can imagine myself doing it. I would enjoy dying that way. <laughs> because if my passions were just, oh, shit, the old self that is in rebellion, working against God and for his own good. Oh, yeah, he's been crucified. But if you just left Evan, Evan with his sack of urge, that's what he's going to have. That's what his passions. They're ignorant. That's what it calls them in 1 Peter. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't obey their passions. But let not. You're in charge here. Who was in charge before? Yourself. That has been crucified. And a new self has been given you. Do not yield your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but yield yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life, as if this were true. That's why you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Because you do a yielding that says, I'm going to use this body of urge for righteousness. I'm not going to use this body of urge for sin. It is mine to do. 
but it is mine to do by a person who's fully capable of doing it. Now what it tells us to not, we must consider ourselves, it's an imperative. You must. We don't like imperatives very much. Isn't that legalism? You must. You guys are real guard against legalism. You must. But it's not a moral command. It's a command that your mind be structured a certain way. I don't tell somebody, you must believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4 as a moral thing. They must, because I believe all the rest of their math will end up in disarray if they think it's not. Okay? They must. And it's not like if I don't, if I have a different theology than this, well, I don't really actually consider myself dead to sin. I think there really are two natures in the Christian. Uh, I know, you're not St. Paul. But that mustness is not a moral failure on your part, but it'll probably end up being one. Because you can't run this existence if you keep disagreeing with the, man, the God who made it. In order to think right through your whole life, all of the order of your thought, and we're not pro-systematics here, but you're going to have a system of thought, a reasonableness to your belief in Christ, if you don't begin by bowing the knee to what the Apostle said. You've heard me speak of the law of lords before. Let me remind you what it is. The Lord is lifted up to make that peace which those that are below must kneel to enjoy. So the lords of our spiritual life are trying to make a peace for us. The only way you're going to enjoy it, you don't get a right to Christian peace merely because you showed up here or some other believing church or you believe in Jesus. You don't have a right to it until you bow the knee to your Lord. That's what lords do. They take a stand and they rule something. And our Lord in Christ makes a stand and rules in something. He said, I got, I got crucified and bore your sins, one, and gave you a venue to die. You got a place to die in me. So don't yield yourself anymore. You've got this sack to drive around. It isn't being driven by that old self. That got killed. You are obedient to the command to consider that self dead. In verse 14, right in the middle of this, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. Remember that abundant grace? This is part of the grace. This is what God did. He didn't just have this grace juice out there to always look the other way when you sin. This, this stuff that just sort of, oh, is abundant. I don't know what it's called, but it's kind of like a, a fluid that comes in and, and makes my life better. No, this grace was killing you. Remember, death and glory. We died with him. He allowed us to die protected by his son. 
And because we're in that grace, sin shouldn't have any dominion over you. So what do we do? Second question, trying to excuse sin. What then? Are we to sin? Because we're not under law, but under grace? People running around looking for every loophole in every biblical statement so they can sleep with their girlfriend. That's... Is it uh, dope is okay in Pullman, right, Pastor? It's not a sin, right, if I go to Pullman? Smoke some wheat. Okay, knock yourself out. Just because you have been... I just finished reading Brothers Karamazov. And Ivan, in that book, he's an atheist, one of the brothers. He's always arguing with the Christian brother, Alyosha, um, about uh, all things are lawful. In his atheistic mind, he has logically come to the conclusion that there is no morality. And it's scrambling his brain. Drives him insane, basically. Drives him mad. We think sometimes like the atheist, because that's why the atheist likes to come to that conclusion partially. He likes to come to the conclusion that there is no God there is no requirement that I not live with my girlfriend, or I not smoke weed, or not do any of the things that I kind of know are wrong. Because I get to do those, but I do still complain about pedophilia and the oppression of women. For some reason, I don't know. What's wrong with that? Can I get an amen from half the audience? <laughs> Oppressing women. It's a good time for us. We don't, we're not set free to be anarchists. Grace does not set us free from law in the sense that the holiness represented by the law isn't attempted anymore. But the holiness mentioned by the law is not accessible by the law. That's why God destroyed the law. It didn't work, nor will it. And I can't give you a rule here about something that will ever work. I can only preach Jesus Christ. And in Christ, you die. And you are raised to newness of life in him. And our hearts, because we know that, we begin to yield our sack of desire to righteousness rather than to sin. The grace gives us a path to holiness that isn't through legalism and the law, but it's a path to holiness, not a path to all bets are off. By no means do you not know that if you yield yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You have two choices. It's not an if choice, it's a who choice. That this gospel thing, I've told you before recently, probably the last few months, faith is finding a Lord. That's what faith is. Faith is not a liberation to be yourself. It's, faith is not where Christianity makes you become 
you know, fully in touch with your inner child, or whatever it is you want else to be in touch with. It is you finding Jesus Christ instead of Evan Wilson. That's Evan Wilson's problem. Evan Wilson worshipped Evan Wilson. Evan Wilson wanted to have everything Evan Wilson wanted, and when Evan Wilson wanted it. And Jesus Christ said, no, nah, not a good idea. And when Evan Wilson found that Jesus was Lord and believed him, and called on his name, acted as if what he said was true, and considered the statements of his holy apostles as truth, Evan's life was changed. That's when you go back and look at your testimony. That's what changed your life, is you bowed the knee to the Lord. Not that you had faith. You're slaves to the one you yield yourself to. But thanks be to God, verse 17, that you, who were once slaves of sin, you're not anymore, don't act as if, I couldn't help myself. Mm. Well, if you can't help yourself, you're not a Christian. Okay? Just, just make that a little, little rule. If you're a slave to sin, you're not a Christian. That who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart not from the list of rules, not from the Ten Commandments, not from the Law of Moses, not from any sort of list of even fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. You don't obey the list. From the heart, obedient to a standard of teaching to which you were committed. Did you believe this is the case? You committed yourself to the standard. You committed yourself to these truths. You are dead in Christ. And having been set free from sin, you've been set free, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms, this whole slavery equation. We're uncomfortable with that. We had a little rumble a few years ago in the 1800s over it. It was rife with uh, racial overtones. It uh, caused a major rift in the country that still hasn't healed. Uh, so we're a little, little on edge. But you, in the privacy of your own home, ask yourself if you're a slave of our Lord and do you resent being one? I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once yielded your members to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity. Remember how you used to run yourself? Remember that? And especially when this was younger, you know, you could, your desires were virile and aggressive and you could go out there and do things and drive fast and write bad checks. I don't know what kind of sins you were involved in. You just got worse and worse. Remember what kind of that's the kind of yielding we're talking about. Giving in. Oh, yeah. That's what you're supposed to be doing. So now, yield your members to righteousness. Is there something I'm missing there? For just as you once yielded, so now yield. You know the procedure. I don't understand how you know how to do this. You're just good about doing it to sin. That's where all your practice is. I'm always giving in. 
Anyway, the Oscar Wilde line, the best way of dealing with temptation is to give in to it, something along those lines. That stops temptation immediately by succumbing. You know, Christ understood his Father in heaven, understood righteousness, understood the temptation of the holy. You're yielding yourself to a different Lord. Why is it kind of, why is sin so greasy and satisfying? Why is it potato chips? Because it is based on your lusts, your urges. It's whispering in your ear, Evan, you can have what you want. There is a difference between the yielding, because I'm yielding to, in one ear, Evan, which whom I like. We, we, we like the same things. And Jesus Christ, who is not me, but he bought me. I am his slave. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You didn't have any problem, you didn't have any difficulty avoiding that, did you? You know, I could just, I could just decide to sin all day. I, you know, I could actually remove any semblance of righteousness. I could be wicked 24 seven. Remember that? You were free as regards righteousness. Flip that. But then what return did you get from those things of which you are now ashamed? That's why did you come to Christ? You were disgusting. That's why you came to Christ. You deserved to die. And we did. What return did we get? The end of those things is death. Now remember, you have a death now. The non-believer, you had, you died a death. Back in Romans 5, it said, all men died because all men sinned. You went to a space of spiritual death, which meant that at the end of your life, your physical life, you were going to go to the second death, as it speaks of in um, uh, Revelation. Death was waiting along a certain path. For us as well, part of our gospel, we had died in our sins, our Christ died for us. We are discovering this morning, hold it, we died with him. And that's how I'm supposed to think about it. Because if I die, I'm raised to newness of life. If I die here, I live there in life eternal. If I don't die here, if I just stay in the state of death I'm in, I, my physical life will pass, and then on to the second death whatever you conceive that to be. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the return you get is sanctification. Remember that. You've got to think this way. You don't got a choice. You know, you can, oh, you can, I, I give you all afternoon to go find a different translation, okay? Because you, you're going to need one. Uh, to see if you can find one that gives you an out somewhere. There ain't no out. The return you get of being a slave of God, being set free from sin, is sanctification. And its end, eternal life. Sanctification is not then. Sanctification is now. This is what we have now. We have been given holiness now. 
the path to it, the understanding, the assumption that we have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. And the famous verse, that now you can see where it lands. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you know when you quoted that in evangelistic circumstances or read it on a billboard somewhere, the wages of sin is death. We know it's true, but we kind of know it's true outside of this passage. This is a passage of death. Romans 6 is about who dies where, who dies when, what slaves or what slaves of whom. Get it straight in your head. You need to know where you died. You need to know who you died to. What part of you was crucified? Were you ever crucified? Because the grace of God is in that death of yours. It's a free gift. Certainly not something I earned from him. I could only by faith give myself to him to die. Is it true? Do you want it to be true? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for the death of your son who died for us. And Lord, this morning we have to answer whether we died with him. That the newness of life he was raised to, that we are raised to. That sanctification, that holiness, that freedom from sin is in this grace called your gospel. Or we know it's not necessary in terms of it must happen magically. We know we sin. We know Paul is talking to people that are still giving themselves excuses, making excuses, finding a path to still serve the lordship of themselves. But Lord, ourselves died. Who could we serve there? Only our ignorant passions. Have, give us this mind, Lord. Help us reach this consideration that our lives as a body would be lived in holiness. In your Son's name, Amen.